0: He's the Messiah. In Hebrew, Messiah, Messiah. In Greek, the word is Christos or Christ. And in English, the word is King. It's a title, a position of authority, the King, the Lord. But that's not all. When you read verse 1 and 2, he's also the Son of God, divine, pre-existent, Co creator with God. Colossians says everything was created by him and for him. The God who dies on our behalf, who dies in our place, who bears our sin, who rises from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Saviour. Jesus, Mark says, is both Lord and Saviour. That's the gospel. That is the good news. If he wasn't one of those, there would be no good news. It would just be news. It would just be information. But the fact that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour, both Messiah and Son of God, means it is good news for the world. And Mark moves through those first 11 verses, uh, noting three things about the good news of Jesus. First it was prophesied about secondly it was prepared for and thirdly he is pleased God is pleased with him Well firstly the good news about Jesus is prophesied about This good news is not new news I wonder if you've ever heard of anything amazing and then you've got to wait for it You're just in anticipation looking forward to whatever is coming up that sounds so fantastic. In 2016, I had six months of long service leave. It was fantastic. We spent a couple of years planning what we would be doing. My kids were a little younger in those days, and we spent five weeks up in the Kimberley, a couple—about uh, about two and a half weeks driving the Gib River Road. We then spent four and a half months living in Tanzania, And then we came home via Rome, Paris, and then skied in Canada. Six months, it was fantastic. But it took a lot of planning. It was promised, and we were waiting for it to be fulfilled. There was much anticipation in the lead-up to that. Maybe there's something coming up for you. It's been promised, but you need to wait for it, trusting that it will happen. Well, the good news of coming of the Messiah was promised in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. This coming had been promised centuries before John before, by Isaiah the prophet. And Mark refers to that promise in verses 2 and 3. He says a messenger will come. He will prepare the way for the Messiah. He will call out from the wilderness as he prepares the way for the Messiah. The coming of the Messiah wasn't a last-minute thought. It wasn't plan B or C. It was written about in Isaiah 700 years before. Isaiah hints at a reference from Exodus 23, and the passage that he's referring, John Mark is referring to here is uh, chapter 40 in Isaiah, and Malachi reiterates a similar image in chapter 3. See John the Baptizer. His role was to point towards the Messiah, to the one who God sends to save His people. Jesus cousin's life. John lives out a message that there is good news coming, and that good news is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That it's that he's coming. That it's needed. It's been prophesied about. It's been worth waiting for, and it's about to be fulfilled. Well, firstly, the good news about Jesus is prophesied about, but secondly, the good news of Jesus is prepared for. Now, I live in Kalaroo. It's just north of Hillarys, and then Mullaloo is the next one. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the news much lately, but in Mullaloo Beach, we have a repeat visitor every few weeks. Uh, it's Trevor, the tiger shark. And Trevor keeps swimming up the coastline and there's loads of footage on the net about Trevor if you want to have a look at him. Uh, I don't know if it's a him, actually, but Trevor is a male name. But he hasn't caused any mischief yet, thankfully. Now, when that siren goes off, uh, and to say that Trevor has returned and is cruising up the coastline, uh, who would you listen to in order to know that everything is okay, to hop back in the water? Who's qualified to bring the good news that Trevor has moved on and is no longer in the area? Would you listen to that crispy, burnt tourist who's been baking themselves on the beach? As they say, Trevor's gone, you can hop back in. Would you be listening to that person? Or would you be listening to the nine-year-old who just can't wait to hop back in the water and say, Travis, God, let's hop back in the water. I wouldn't be listening to either of them. I'd be waiting until someone who is qualified comes and tells me that it's okay. They have to have the right knowledge. They have to be dressed the right way so we can recognise them. You want to listen to one of those surf lifesavers. You want to know that they have access to the person overseeing everything. You want to know that they've had a chat to their supervisor... You want to be able to recognise them from their clothing, which says, I should know. In fact, that's half my school kids, Mullaloo Surf Club. I'm not sure I want to listen to them. It's no different with John the Baptist. A messenger will come. He will prepare the way for the Messiah. He will call out from the wilderness. He will prepare the way for the Messiah. A prophet declaring the need for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And John, he is dressed as a prophet, clothing made of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, eating locusts and wild honey. His clothing and food portray him as a prophet from the Jewish scriptures. It's all spoken about in Zechariah 13 and 1 Kings 1. Elijah is described as wearing a garment of hair and leather belt around his waist. This prophet This messenger, John, looks and smells like a prophet. But remember, God has been silent for the last 400 years. There have been no prophets for 400 years. There are no new scriptures for 400 years. There's no new prophecies for 400 years. But this John is like a prophet of old, foretold. By the prophets of old. Right out of the pages of Isaiah. Whose job it is to call people to repentance. Just like the prophets of old. A repentance that requires a response. But even the response is pointing towards something greater in the future. Verses 7 and 8 if it's in front of you. And this was his message. After me comes comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Even this act of repentance, baptism, this physical response, points forward. It points towards the one who comes after John, the one who is greater than John. So think about our repentance and that baptism. Baptism was very familiar to the Jewish people. It was a symbol of cleansing, both a symbol of moral and spiritual cleansing and ceremonial cleansing. But not all Jewish people saw the need for baptism, a spiritual washing. If you're Jewish, you think you're right with God because you're part of his chosen people. But repentance says you need to acknowledge that you get things wrong. You can do things that make you offside with God. Now that's obvious if you're a sinner but less obviously obvious if you were one of the religious leaders of the time. They thought that if you're righteous all the time then God would be pleased with you. So how are you right with God? By relying on God's forgiveness not on your own ability to be righteous. And nothing's changed for us centuries later. God promises to send his Messiah to save his people because his people cannot save themselves. They can't be righteous enough. The whole sacrificial system said that every time they needed to sacrifice something. You only need a saviour if you recognise you need to be saved. You only need to be saved when you understand there is nothing you can do. To save yourself. I went to a wedding on Friday. One of my ex-students, she's now 30 and a doctor. Uh, one of her bridesmaids is also a doctor. She was head girl at school when they all went through St Mark's. It was wonderful to catch up with uh, this ex-head girl. I haven't seen her for many years. When she was in year 12, she and two other girls wanted to read the Bible. No, none of those three were Christian But they wanted to investigate Christianity and so uh, once a week at lunchtime for three terms and when they were in year 12, we would sit and read the Bible together, the three of us, and answer any questions. At the end of that, she said to me, do you know, I just can't get past that God can't accept my non-Christian family because... They're so nice. And they were. They were so nice. It was such a nice family. Beautiful people. But what she didn't understand is that no one's perfect and everyone needs forgiveness. She did not understand that she could not save herself. They need a saviour. And that's the good news that Mark's referring to. God sends Jesus to save everyone for no one can save themselves. And that's why it's good news because you can't save yourself. It's good news because a saviour is sent. Well, firstly, the good news about Jesus is prophesied about. Secondly, the good news of Jesus is prepared for. But thirdly, the good news is that God is pleased with Jesus. When my kids were little, if they did something right, my wife and I would acknowledge it. We'd say, well done for doing that, that's great. A kind of uh, being a teacher, you do much the same things. Instead of just rewarding bad behaviour, you want to see, especially one of those scaly kids doing the right thing, you want to catch them and say, hey, you did the right thing, fantastic, thank you so much. It's so helpful. I'm pleased with those kids when they do that sort of thing, but I think... God's being pleased with Jesus is more than just that. Jesus comes from Nazareth in Galilee to be baptised by John. And so in his baptism, does that mean that Jesus needs to repent? Does it mean that he's done something wrong and needs to repent like all the other people who are being baptised? I think not... Jesus' baptism is different to that of all the other average punters at the time because of what happens as a result of Jesus' baptism. It is different to everyone else's. If you look at verses 10 and 11, then you'll see that three things happen that in the Jewish tradition signify Jesus as God's king of his kingdom. Three things. The heavens were opened above him. As he comes out of the water, the spirit descends upon him like a dove. And thirdly, the heavenly voice speaks to him. Those three things as a package mean that Jesus' baptism is actually about his inauguration as king, as Messiah. Isaiah 64 speaks of the heavens being opened with the coming of the Messiah. Uh, The Spirit descends on Jesus. Uh, Only God gives the Holy Spirit, by the way. And so it's a precursor to what Jesus has come to do. Back in verse 8, if you flick back to verse 8, where John baptises with water, but Jesus comes to baptise with the Holy Spirit. It is a clear claim of his divinity. This is God coming in flesh. And a declaration from heaven is an echo from Isaiah 49 where God speaks from heaven to Israel. As a package, those three things point towards much more than God just having a smile on his face about his son. He's pleased. He is keen to give his approval of Jesus as his chosen Messiah, or Christ, his king. He's inaugurated it through his baptism. And that is the good news. Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God. He is Lord and Saviour. It is good news for Israel at the time, and it is good news for the whole world for every year since. See, Mark shows us why Jesus is Messiah and Son of God and why this is good news He says, the good news about Jesus is prophesied about. The good news of Jesus is prepared for. And the good news is that God is pleased with his son, Jesus. So what then are the implications for us? I've thought of just a handful. And so you might have a little think about each of these. And you might even think, actually, I wonder if I could work on that this year. Well, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, means that nothing is more important in life than to know and understand Jesus. Nothing is more important in life than to know and understand Jesus. I went to uni to train to be a geography and economics teacher. I spent four years training in understanding the content and how to deliver that content And so it's always made me think, what sort of investment do we put into our careers, our jobs? What sort of training and studying have we done to get to the level that we're at? It might be formal through university or TAFE. It might not be formal. It might be just recognising particular credentials, training on the job, learning about your role organically on the job. But whatever it is, there's training and investment into the job that you have. Whatever it looks like for you, have you ever thought about putting time into learning and understanding more about Jesus? Looking into God's word together with others. If you're part of a regular Bible study group, then that's what you're doing, aren't you? Looking and investing into who Jesus is. If you're not part of a group, maybe you could think of joining one, if your life circumstances allow that. Maybe you haven't been able to, but maybe circumstances are changing and so reassessing whether that's possible or not. Do you make time to read God's word and to meditate on it, to pray as a response to what it says? Now, I've got to to admit, I struggle to do that every single day, but we live by grace. What you can, when you can is what I work on, not as an excuse for ditching it, as a reason to not be overwhelmed by guilt when I can't live up to all the shoulds in life. What you can, when you can. Perhaps you're in a position to take some uh, study of God's word more formally. Trinity at night courses to lead uh, to a certificate. Certificate. Or Tuesday nights at the diploma level, there's some uh, uh, leaflets up the back, uh, I understand, if you've ever thought of that. Putting in some investment into understanding who Jesus is, an investment that we do for our jobs. Have we ever done that as a Christian? Not everyone is at the stage of life where that's possible. I understand that. But when it's possible... Is that something you could schedule in? Well, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, means that nothing is more important to teach to kids. Now, I want to acknowledge a slight advantage here. It's my job to do that. Um, And so I'm around kids all the time, loads and loads of teenagers, uh, and I've got two of my own. It is a little easier for me. But if you're around kids, if you're parenting, if you're grandparenting, if you're running youth group or running crèche or Sunday school, whatever it is, you find your circumstances. There is nothing more important for them to know and understand than the good news about Jesus. Absolutely nothing more important for them. They need to understand about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. They need to understand the gospel. They need to have it explained age appropriately. They need to understand who they are before God and they'll be better off for it. Teach them the gospel. The good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, means there is nothing more important to spend your money on. Now, I want to acknowledge a little bias here. I am as materialistic as the next person living in Perth. I really am. Like, I love my big TV. I... I am materialistic, just like everyone else. But I need to work against that. I remember I asked a mate uh, to come and speak at chapel um, uh, to my students at school, and he was speaking about money. It's something that Jesus speaks about a fair bit about. Uh, he's from the UK, and he made an in- interesting observation about WA, about Perth. With the mining sector paying big money for FIFO workers, he said it's amazing that not everyone in Perth is a FIFO worker given the money that's on offer. The fact is, there's enough money here in Perth that not everyone has to be a FIFO worker in order to have money. It speaks about the general wealth of our Western society, doesn't it? There is a fair bit of wealth here in Perth. Now, I understand some people struggle. I do understand that. But I find myself comparing myself to my immediate neighbour, rather than my international neighbour. We are, by and large, extremely wealthy. The good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, means there is nothing more important to spend your money on. So when was the last time you did an audit on your spending and then looked at your spending in the light of the gospel? Well, the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, means that there is nothing more important to share with your family, friends and colleagues. How do you go with that? It can be hard work, can't it? Especially family, I find, because my family are not Christian. Some people are naturals at it. My brother-in-law is an absolute natural at sharing the gospel. Some people struggle. Some people feel underprepared. Some feel that they don't ever have the opportunity. Some try their hardest, but then get kicked for it. And if you get kicked too many times, you don't try anymore. It's tough, I think. And our society, I think it's getting tougher. Are you praying about sharing the gospel? Are you reading about how to share the gospel? Are you trying to share the gospel? Are you talking about it with friends and sharing the gospel, your successes and your failures and learning from those? The good news that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, means that it is good news for everyone. Everyone. People love good news. We need to be telling good news. We need to be people of good news. And people need good news. Well, lastly, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, means that nothing is more important. Nothing. Nothing's more important. What's become more important? Nothing is more important than the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Amen.